Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about investigation. Um, one of the ways uh, to look at the practice is that we're always working with balance. Uh, for instance, I'm sure you've all experienced being uh, calm and then a little too calm, probably today where you fell asleep or got really sleepy. Um, I heard a lot of that this afternoon. And, or maybe you go the other way, you know, and you get very restless, you know, and so you're always working with balancing a little more energy, a little bit more calm. And in the same way, um, we balance the mind between, uh, we balance the training between tranquility and calm and insight or knowledge. And both are needed and we develop them hand in hand. When we um, focus on an object like the breath, you know, that steady over and over and over again, that creates calm. It settles the mind. It's like taking a, a glass of water with a whole bunch of debris in it and shaking it up. You know, that's often how we come to meditation. And then as we sit and watch the breath, all by itself, the debris just kind of drops to the bottom, uh, eventually giving you a nice, calm, gla clear glass of water. And, um, and when the mind gets calm, it gets clear. And when it's a little bit clear, that's when insight can arise. So you can see clearly. You don't have to look through all the debris. It's hard to see through that debris. And um, it's the... Uh, you know, and what do we see when we see clearly? We see everything that shows up. And sometimes what shows up aren't, uh, aren't the most fun things to show up, like the hindrances. Uh, you know, as I said, restlessness or, or uh, sleepiness or maybe aversion or, um, or greed or desire, wanting something really bad. So, so those are the things that show up. But those things aren't a mistake that they're there. This is actually why we practice, because those things are there. And by seeing them clearly, we can see through them. We can begin to understand how we're clinging, how we can free ourselves of our clinging. The purpose of the practice is not to have a calm mind, even though it's nice, you know, but it's to be free to be free of all the things that, that cause us to be not okay with what, what's here, all the things that, um, uh, that create suffering and unsatisfactoriness in our lives. So in, in the same way that if um, the mind is calm, you know, we can see, uh, see more clearly, the more clear we see, the uh, easier it is to get calm. So it's what we call a positive, virtuous cycle, the opposite of a vicious cycle, a virtuous cycle. And so it reinforces, you know, so the more you're able to calm the mind, the easier insight will arise. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed in myself, you know, whenever an insight, uh, whenever a hindrance showed up, you know, maybe aversion or something like that, it was, I was never, I never welcomed it. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, not that again. You know, it was, um, uh, had a kind of um, adversarial relationship to the hindrances. 
And one of my um, teachers said, um, I, I love the way she said this, she said, um, the practice is periods of tranquility and periods of purification. Mm-hmm. And tranquility and purification. And the purifications where we do the work. So when these things come up and we can actually look at them and turn towards them, um, y- you know, this is where we grow. This is where we get free. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really important to be friendly to, towards all these things we may not like or appreciate on, on first hand. So insight to see things clearly requires the faculty of investigation. And for instance, um, you know, mindfulness can be defined as uh, just being simply present for what's here. And so let's say, make, make a fist for a moment. Okay, kind of a firm fist, okay? So you know you just made a fist. That's mindfulness. Now really pay attention, you know, maybe close your eyes for a moment. What do you experience in the hand? Maybe the fingernails, you know, touching the skin. Maybe some pressure. Some warmth. Tingling. Pulsing. Go ahead and relax it for a moment. And so those details are investigation. So mindfulness kind of sees the the whole picture, investigation, you investigate the details of the experience. And and one of the things that's really important about investigation is that it allows us to do two things. It allows us to really be present with the experience but it also allows us to discern or to make choices and to make choices that are either, you know, hopefully that are helpful for us. And for instance, um, when you made the fist, you know, and started paying attention to the, uh, to all the sensations, you know, you're seeing the subtle parts of our experience, the parts that we normally miss. but if you were, I don't know how tight a fist you made, but if you made a really tight fist, maybe you were, you know, digging into your palm. So you'd be able to discern that, well, that's really not so helpful to leave nail marks in my palm. Uh, so you're able to make a choice because you see clearly that there is a choice. Uh, what often happens is we have these habits of mind. Uh, and so if we don't know we have a choice, we just do what's been our habit all the time. And, um, and in things that are a little more significant than fist making, for instance, um, you know, let's say you're having um, uh, a point of view disagreement with a good friend. And it's a, um, it's, it's a topic that's, uh, you know, Maybe you've got some buttons there, you know. Uh, I won't mention the current topic these days. Um, (laughs) 
stupid. Uh, let's say you've got some strong energy there, and um, you know, and you just bring enough mindfulness and and uh, investigation to see. Wow, I'm really, uh, you know, my my body's really tight. I'm really uh, having all this um, aversion to their point of view, and and uh, and you know, maybe the tendency is to kind of lash out at them, you know. But the investigation allows you to have enough space around it to actually have a choice. Maybe I don't have to say that. You know, maybe, you know, I, I can just listen and, and, and look internally and see if I can hold the fact that they have a different point of view than I do. Um, it's not that you don't, you know, you may not sh- share your point of view. That That's fine too, but it's it's the ability to be with what's difficult and to make that choice instead of, um, you know, nobody listens to you if you lash out, right? There's no communication going on when people lash out. And so this ability to investigate, to really allow yourself to make the choices in life is, is really uh, a crucial part of developing or uh, or ability to be peaceful in our lives, or ability to be happy and at ease, to be liberated. We make the choices that, that help us create a wholesome life, a life that's skillful. But the choices we make that aren't um, evaluative choices, um, you know, with investigation, the choices we make aren't um, necessarily uh, choices we make with discursive thought. And what I mean by that is that um, if you, you know, if you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't have to think about it, you know. You're, you're going to lift your hand up, right? That's, that's, that hurts, you know. I'm not going to keep it there. And when we become really more sensitive to what's going on inside us, we can see that by lashing out, we're hurting ourselves. It actually hurts inside to lash out, to create this distance and separation with our good friend. And um, so it it comes naturally to want to create that space, to want to um, uh, stay peaceful in that conversation. Um, it might take a lot of skill, but it, but it but it does come naturally when you really look carefully at the experience. Um, if you notice your shoulders are up by your ears, anybody found that while you were sitting, you know, your shoulders were like really tight, and here you're meditating, watching the breath, and you become aware of that. It's like, oh, you know, should I lower them? And I think you kind of naturally drop them, you know, that's the, the natural reaction. Um, if you're caught in a fantasy, you know, and, and um, you notice it, you know, it's like, oh, okay, let me go back to the breath. Uh, you naturally wake up out of the fantasy, out of being lost. Um, so the choice is just something that happens naturally when you have more space in your mind, uh, when we don't shy away from what we don't like. Um, when something's difficult in this practice, we turn to the difficult. 
we make that the object of our meditation. We fold it into our practice. And the more we do that, that we turn towards the challenging, the difficult, um, we bring um, the equanimity into, into our lives. We bring a lot of uh, peace into our lives. The fundamental question in, in this kind of meditation of Vipassana is, what is this? That's really the question, you know, we're not using words, but that's kind of what we're doing inside our, inside our own practice, you know, what is this, you know? But not what is this, um, you know, let's say you got um, someone turned on really loud music, you know, and, you know, trying to, medi- trying to meditate, you know, and aversion arises, how dare they turn on music at it's six in the morning. You know, and uh, and you know these feelings of indignation arise. You know, and and you become aware of that. Um, you know, what is this? What is this? You know, and it's not the music we need to pay attention to. It's our aversion, and um, this is aversion, right? It's uh, and what is it? You know, and then you go into the body. Oh gosh, my you know this this tightness in my belly, uh, pressure. Uh, you, you know, we all have a little different ways. You know, sometimes people get tight in the jaw, um, or actually make fists. I've seen people make fists when they get tight. Um, so, what is this? You know, that's the question, and and we're not looking for an answer. Uh, it's a perpetual question to bring us into the moment. What is this? This is, this is what aversion is like right now. Um, Ajahn Sumedho um, describes investigation as affectionate curiosity. I really like that. Uh, you know, because I, you know, when I first heard the word investigation, all I could think was, well, that's a uh, FBI investigation um, or a scientist investigating very, very serious. And the idea of affectionate curiosity to me, really uh, brings in a r- very important element with which we look at our experience. Um, always bringing that, that uh, open heart, that softness into it. Um, you know, that affectionate curiosity comes out of caring. You know, by caring for ourselves, caring for each other, caring for the world around us. I know that um, many of you have experienced um, paying attention to something painful. You know, uh, maybe your back's really tight and you pay attention and it goes away. Um, and, um, and then next time pain arises, you know, you're kind of excited to go to it and make it go away. <laughs> um, you know, I've definitely ha- had that happen more than once. And the thing about investigation is that um, we want to, it's not that if you can relax, relax the tension, relax it, of course. But it's about investigating without an agenda, without needing a result. Uh, Just with this open curiosity, what is this like? 
And when we're exploring something that's really um, uncomfortable and pleasant or painful, uh, can we um, can we think of it like if we had a a child who just skinned their knee, you know, and they're all caught up in their uh, in their drama, their little drama, you know, and how do we look at it? You know, it's skin knee, right? You know, or even if it's more than a skin knee, we still look at them with uh, compassion, with kindness, um, and with a little objectivity. The opposite of investigation is assuming. And um, one of the things that, that um, is quite easy to do, is, and we do this all the time in daily life, is we assume we know how things are. And, um, you know, an orange. Oh yeah, I know what an orange tastes like. You know, but um, some oranges are really juicy. Some of them are extra sweet. Some are kind of pulpy. Um, and you know, if you just had a, a you know, five-course meal, this, the same perfect orange isn't going to taste as good as if you just fasted for two days, right? So it's different every time, every time. And uh, so to look at it newly allows us to really be alive with it, to really be present. Um, how often do we, um, um, you know, run into people or people we work with or we have ideas of who they are and, you know, oh yeah, they're kind of, you know, uptight, they're kind of this, they're kind of that. Um, I always remember, you know, um, when I was 10 years old, uh, I was having uh, my mother, we had a, a relative over at our house and, um, uh, and my mother and I had were having an argument. We're having, a, you know, a bit of a fight, and and she kind of butted in a little bit, and you know, and told me to be nice to my mother after all she'd been through, you know. <laughs> and um, I hated her for years. <laughs> I just had this idea that she was this terrible person, and it was all because she kind of offended me in that moment. And I remember years later, you know, and I, you know, I'd tell my sister what a terrible person she was and kind of, I had no idea who this woman was, you know, and, and then I met her as an adult and going, she's a really nice person. <laughs> and it was just this one, one moment that froze in time, you know, and how often do we, um, you know, the appearance of somebody who, who does something unlike, um, you know, unlike what we're used to or uh, all the different things to give us ideas about people. And uh, we freeze them, ideas about ourselves, you know. Um, you know, I have a good friend who, who told me, you know, I'm terrible at math. And yet whenever we had to do anything mathematical, he was good at it. You know, but he had this idea in his mind that he was bad at math because he'd had a bad experience. And uh, so we do that to ourselves all the time. You know, we create, uh, we assume things about ourselves uh, that aren't necessarily true. Assuming that, that we don't know anything. It's great to assume we don't know anything. <laughs> it allows us to investigate and to see something newly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, a deeper knowing, it's an inner knowing. And, um, 
it can go deeper than words and concepts. And um, Zuki Roshi said it really beautiful, beautifully. He said, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. And you know that really describes you know um, uh, how a mind that's um, uh, open and to investigating, um, you know, just there's so much more choice, so much more possibility um, at any given moment. As I said, in in, um, Buddhist practice, um, we investigate for one reason, to free ourselves of suffering, uh, from discontent, from um, always trying to find uh, satisfaction. Um, And, you know, even the Rolling Stones knew, you know, you can't get no satisfaction ever. And, um, you know, there is no lasting satisfaction from, from the things in this world, from the things in our mind. Um, anything we experience is not going to last. And so uh, the purpose of investigating is to actually see through this. Um, you know, we don't have to be victims to what happens in our minds. I know sometimes we often get caught in, um, in you know, s- certain type of thinking, worrying, planning, anxiety, impatience, all these things that we can get caught in. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's important to really put in perspective that suffering, in one way, is made up of a bunch of bad habits of mind. That's all it is. It's just, you know, it's just habits that we've been conditioned to have. You know, something's uh, not the way we want it, we get unhappy. Something, um, uh, you know, um, is unpleasant, you know, we, we get averse. You know, so these are habits of mind. And we can train our habits of any habit can be trained, right? Biting your fingernails, you know. Eventually, you can train yourself out of it. Um, any habit you can train yourself out of it. And same thing with um, the habits that cause us discontent, the habits of mind that cause us suffering. Um, <clears throat> So when we turn our attention to what's difficult, like, um, you know, I know a number of you have had some um, physical discomfort that uh, seemed to dominate your sitting. I think many of us experience that, especially on the first day of retreat. And so we turn the power investigation to that discomfort. So how does it feel in the body? Maybe you notice... Uh, there's pressure, there's some burning, 
some tightness, some tingling. You know, notice all the different sensations. You know, what, um, what Shinsen Young used to say, you divide and conquer. Insta- instead of uh, seeing this big block that says pain, you know, you know, with big red letters, you know, and exclamation marks. You know, you see it as many, many discrete little changing sensations. It's not the same. So that's a form of investigation. And uh, as long as you're doing that in, in a clear way, that's great. But maybe what's happening, you're noticing that, but really what's happening, your mind's getting really tight and grim. You know, you really don't like it, and you really don't want it. And, you know, you're sort of trying to pay attention to, to the area, but really what's become really predominant is your aversion to the pain. And so, um, you know, we often miss that. We miss our relationship uh, to our experience. And we think it's the initial experience that's what's important. But what's really important is a reaction to the experience. Or mind wanting the pain to go away. Or mind, um, you, know, uh, tr- you know, rejecting the experience. How much more time before the sitting's over? Um, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, sometimes with pain in particular, the mind can get too grim, you know, and it might not be all that workable, you know, so we can take it, you know, in, in kind of bite-sized pieces. Okay, I did enough of that for now. Um, you know, if the mind gets too tight, it's not going to see clearly. So we want to be really gentle with it. Okay, I've, I've spent the last... Uh, 10 minutes examining my aversion and I'm getting uh, grimmer and grimmer. <laughs> so, so then you just, you, you do what you need to do to lighten it up, you know, maybe change positions, uh, move, whatever is needed. Um, <clears throat> you know, as soon as we become interested in our, our experience, no matter what it is, it transforms it. It becomes a different experience. Um, it transforms in a positive way. For instance, if you find yourself worrying and you become um, interested in your worry, um, you're, you're now investigating worry. You're no longer really worried. You're investigating worry. And so it creates a lot more space around it, a lot more room. You're not so uh, claustrophobic, uh, you know, not so uh, uh, tight around it. It it creates a lot more room. Um, You know, same thing, any, any uh, any other difficult, challenging states like anxiety, you know, it makes it lighter when you become interested in it. Curious, affection, affectionate, curiosity, either way. You know, general, um, the rule might be, um, if you're struggling, you're leaving something out of your attention. Now take a moment to really consider that, you know. Um, have you, during your sittings today, have you been struggling at all during any of them? struggling with sleepiness, struggling with uh, discomfort, struggling with impatience. So when, when you find yourself struggling, what aren't you paying attention to? 
Because if you get interested in what's actually happening in the moment, you stop struggling. You become, you know, investigating uh, whatever, what's impatience like? What is that? You know, oh, the body feels like it's got all this energy and, and there's something a little unpleasant about it. What, what is it? You know, what is this like? Um, so, um, you know, see if you can notice that, you know, next time you feel like you're struggling with your experience, what aren't you seeing? What might you see? What might you pay attention to? What is being unseen? You know, you can check, um, check the body first. If you don't know how to approach it, you know, what's unseen, you check the body. Um, you know, I've uh, gotten caught and, and trying to say, okay, I'm really in a lot of struggle here. I check the body and my stomach's really tight or, you know, my shoulders are really tense. So, okay, so I'm not seeing that. Okay, let it go. Uh, or maybe I'm not seeing, um, you know, my rejection of my experience. Uh, so, you know, my emotions around it. Um, or maybe I have a belief that, hey, I've been meditating all day. I sh- this shouldn't be coming up now. I should be peaceful. This shouldn't be this way. You know, maybe those kind of thoughts. So cognitive part of our mind. So what are we not seeing? So, um, so investigation can lead to um, insights, different kind of insights, uh, from some very just very personal type insights to some very uh, what I or might be called more transcendental insights, more transpersonal insights. And what I mean by that, like um, personal insights, uh, might be. Um, I remember on one um, on one retreat, I kept noticing, you know, I was kind of staying, you know, going back to my breath over and over, but there was this kind of unease in my mind, you know, and it took me a while to realize that that what was happening was that uh, every time I spaced out and I came back to the breath, I felt like a failure for having spaced out. And so every time I'd come back to the breath, uh, I'd feel worse and worse in a way. <laughs> and, um, and it was very subtle, you know, this thing, you know, I, I thought, you know, I had this idea that I was supposed to be perfect, never, never spaced out, ever. You know, just once I give my attention to the breath, I should stay on it, you know. And, and just that whole thing about failure was, it, it was a really wonderful personal insight that really helped me um, uh, accept parts of myself that, the few parts of myself that weren't perfect, you know. (laughs) Um, But it was important, you know. And in the same way, some personal insights might be when you see, um, one of the things I noticed in myself, for instance, was uh, planning, you know. I would plan 
the same thing over and over and over again, not, not doing anything productive. Um, even things like, okay, uh, on retreat, you know, when everything's like kind of scheduled for you, kind of handled, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go to my work meditation and at this time and, you know, and it's like, I didn't really have to do that, but my mind was so in the habit, um, you know, so seeing that insight, it's like, look at that, look how, how, uh, I had a lot more room to see that. And because I had so much room to see that, it allowed me gradually to drop that, that habit. Um, it doesn't necessarily drop that easily, though. <laughs> um, so, um, but the investigative practice that we do um, is really, um, uh, as our minds get quieter and quieter and we develop our practice more and more, uh, it begins to uh, deal with the more uh, deeper, deeper insights that are common to all of us, not to our particular neurosis, but, but really to the common human experience. Um, you know, we can look deeply into the nature of reality and we see, you know, it's, everybody intellectually knows that everything's changing all the time. Um, you know, are we, are we the same person, that child, you know, that three-year-old child who had tantrum over, um, over a piece of candy? Um, you know, we're, you know, it feels like we're a totally different person, right? So we don't have any, any, self that continues, you know, this is me, this, this is what makes me me. And, and there's um, nothing that lasts, everything's changing. And, uh, and so that's, we all intellectually understand that. You know, it's like philosophically, yes, that's interesting. But the actual practice of insight is a way of looking at that experience in a way that goes really, really um, deep into every fiber of our being. And in the same way that we move our hand from a hot stove, um, when that becomes uh, um, uh, completely real to us, uh, we no longer try to hold on to things no longer try to control our lives. And we can fully relax and, and be free in our lives. We can just really let, let everything flow. Um, you know, and that's where the deeper insights begin to arise. Everything that arises passes away. Everything that appears disappears. And no thought, no emotion, uh, no physical sensation, no idea, no person, nothing lasts, nothing, none of those things bring any kind of lasting satisfaction. And those are the realities, um, you know, that, um, that inform uh, uh, or insights that, that, that arise which arise when the time is right, when we're ready, at different times, different levels of those. And with each time we have those kind of very deep insights, we let go of a little more clinging, a little more clinging. So I wanted to end with a poem. Um, 
It's called uh, The Opening of Eyes by David White. The day I saw beneath dark clouds, the passing light over the water, and I heard the voice of the world speak out. I knew then, as I have before, life is no passing memory of what has been, nor the remaining pages in a great book waiting to be read. It is the opening of eyes long closed. It's the vision of far-off things seen for the silence they hold. It's in the heart, after years of secret conversing, speaking out loud in the clear air. It's Moses in the desert, fallen to his knees before the lit bush. It's the man throwing away his shoes as if to enter heaven and finding himself astonished, opened at last, fallen in love with solid ground. So thank you. Just sit for a few minutes. <laughs> 